This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, first of all, thanks for joining us. Happy holidays. Uh, the Rays are doing their fair share of, I guess you could call it, last-minute shopping or trading or whatever you want to call it. So on the podcast today, you're going to hear uh, a few things. One, you're going to hear in just a little bit from High and Bloom, our senior VP, on some moves the Rays are making here uh, right before the holidays. You're going to hear from one of the new members of the 40-man roster. Joe McCarthy is going to join us to update kind of his situation and what it means to be on the 40-man, especially going into the holidays. And uh, Bill Weiner will join us to talk a little bit on the community side about some of the things the Rays are doing in the community leading up to the holidays. But obviously, we, we begin on baseball, and Senior VP Haim Bloom is with us. And Haim, let's begin with uh, the fact that you guys made yet another three-team trade, uh, this one with Texas and Oakland. We'll get into the, the players involved, but how difficult are these to pull off and how challenging are they? Because it seems like more and more often we're seeing multi-team trades, and I would imagine there's a lot of gymnastics that goes into it. No question. That speaks to, I think, the volume of conversation that you have in the industry. Some of them uh, are more difficult than others. Some of them take longer than others. Um, it, it depends. I think a lot of times in these deals, there's usually one of the teams that ends up acting as broker, where they have conversation going on two different fronts that they realize they might be able to tie something in, that they might be able to access something from one team that might be of a value to another team they're talking to and that it might make sense just to to get everybody at the table and try to figure this out. Okay, in this deal, let's kind of go over what happened. Uh, the Rays end up with reliever Emilio Pagan, the 38th pick in the draft next year, um, and also a minor league starting pitcher, I guess, right now in, in Raleigh Lacey, who was drafted in 2017. Uh, the A's get Jurickson and Profar from the Rangers, and the Rangers get players from both ends, plus some international money, from Oakland, the players they got from the Rays, uh, Brock Burke, who was the pitcher of the year in the system, Kyle Bird, and uh, Yoel Espinal, um, one a lefty reliever, one a righty reliever. From the Rays' perspective, how does this deal work for Tampa Bay? Well, I think there's two uh, two ways to look at this, uh, or two angles to look at this from. One is, you know, simply, uh, you know, from a talent perspective. Look, obviously, we gave up some talent, and you know, it's no secret. Obviously, with both Brock and Kyle coming on the 40-man roster this year, how highly we thought of each guy. I think these are two uh, scouting and development success stories. Brock, who we took out of high school. Um, you know, I think probably for Texas might have been the key to the deal. Um, and a guy who really blossomed this past year, obviously being our minor league pitcher of the year, uh, you know, a long, lanky left-hander is coming into his own. And then Kyle Bird, who has worked his way methodically through our system after being off the radar. Um, and to get to the cusp of the big leagues, uh, and Espinal, you know, a guy who we picked up kind of off the scrap heap in the minor league rule five originally. Uh, and again, someone who our coaches worked with uh, and, and got him to where he was showing, you know, enough promise to be a target in this deal. Uh, so certainly we're giving up some talent. 
Uh, but I think it speaks to the work that our staff has done getting to this point where these three guys were all assets that uh, we can use to, we think, you know, put us in a better position going forward where, you know, obviously the draft pick is huge. That's a really high pick in the draft. Uh, we're very, uh, you know, confident in a lot of in the work that uh, our, our scouting group does and eager to give them another another big chip. And this is someone that, you know, this is a, a, this pick and can become, uh, you know, an impact player for us down the road, hopefully. And it's a really big asset to have going into the draft. And there's not very many picks that are tradable. These things are very highly coveted. Uh, and then the two pitchers we got, you know, Pagan has some major league experience. Uh, you know, as a good fastball, good slider, has been very effective, especially against righties. Um, supposed to be made up really well. Um, you know, has had some big league success, and he gives us, uh, you know, another option down there and someone that we have some flexibility with. Uh, he's got experience going multiple innings. Um, he has options left, so he can be com- in the mix competing for a spot. And then Raleigh Lacey is a guy working his way through the minor leagues. Um, you know, heavy sinker ball, uh, puts the ball on the ground. Uh, he's gotten a high A as a starter, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what we can do with him. Let's get back to the draft pick. You now have four of the top 61 picks in the draft, and I would say by looking at how guys are faring, your 17 and 8 drafts are progressing very, very nicely. How important are these picks to the system, and how important is it to have, let's say, that depth um, all the way through so that you guys have kind of that rolling talent coming through the way you have to work? Uh, it's huge. Uh, you know, th- these picks, especially the higher picks, you know, hitting on those really makes a huge difference in your system. And uh, when we've done that, it's carried us. And when we haven't done that, we've paid the price. Now, you don't pay the price for four or five years but uh, for those picks that you don't hit on. But the more chances we have and the confidence we have in our scouting group right now where a process has come to and the hard work that those guys put in year-round to put us in good position in the draft – Uh, You know, it makes us feel really strongly about having these guys. And the other angle to this um, is the 40-man roster flexibility. And, you know, a guy that we draft can be an impact prospect for us that does not have to go on our 40-man roster for four or five years. And when you are deep in the system, as we feel we are now, every year you have challenges making enough 40-man space uh, for all the moves you want to make, not just to add the guys that are eligible that year, but also for any additions on the Major League side. And, uh, you know, this allows us to to better manage that roster by freeing up some space in the short and medium term uh, while getting, you know, in this draft pick, we'll be able to get an impact prospect who doesn't have to hit the roster for a long time. And in Pagan, the guy who obviously is close to helping you in the now, you look at his splits, especially last year, right? He's really, really effective. Lefty's not effective. Are there some things that you guys see where you can make some changes with him that would allow him to be, let's say, maybe not neutral, but certainly better against lefties than he's been? Yeah, I think the repertoire is probably going to make him better against righties and just the type of pitcher that he is. But look, everybody who comes in here, we're always looking for ways to maximize them. And I think the key here is, you know, we still have a lot of the offseason left. Don't know exactly how things are going to shape up, but the more depth we have, the more options we have, you know, in that relief core, the better off we're going to be. Speaking of relief core, um, you've got Jose Alvarado and Adam Kalerik, your lefties who were in the bullpen last year. Um, You did move Kyle Bird in this move. But you also have Colin Pochet, Hobie Milner, who was uh, passed through waivers, and Ryan Merritt, who you signed as a minor league free agent. Is that part of the reason you're able to deal, let's say, a Kyle Bird, because you do have some left-handed depth? It helps. Uh, You never have enough, and especially left-handed pitching can be hard to find. Um, But it certainly helps to have other guys where we didn't feel like by moving a Kyle Bird that we were going to be completely naked at the position. 
You have, um, as you mentioned at the top, the lefty that you gave up in Brock Burke is probably the toughest of them. I think probably more so because I look at it and say there's not a lot of starting pitching depth that you would have, let's say, at the AA level that could have the impact that a Brock Burke does. How difficult was that, and does it help that you have so much, let's say, AAA Major League that has options left that at least allows you a little bit of a buffer for a couple of seasons? Yeah, the good news is that between uh, who we project to be on our Major League roster and then guys that could be on the Major League roster or in AAA and then some of those guys get in AAA, we do have a lot of uh, you know upper-level options right now. There's no question. You, know, you talk about a guy like Brock with the steps that he took, uh, you know, the work that was put into him both on the scouting and the development side. Uh, he may go off and have success elsewhere, and, you know, we, we, we wish him well. And sometimes those guys, uh, you know, will do that, and uh, we, we've got plenty of uh, Rays alums who are uh, doing good things elsewhere. That's part of the business. What's important for us is obviously that we make sure to get the most out of what we got back and looking at the progress Brock made and looking at how he came from being an extremely raw you know, really, uh, you know, immature high school draft to now getting where he's gotten, you know, that obviously speaks to what he put in, but it also speaks to a lot of the work that our group did to identify and develop him. And that's the same work. We have that. We have so much confidence in that group to be able to do that with the next wave, including with this draft pick that we just acquired. All right. Let's um, get to the fact that this did open a 40-man spot. That wasn't your intention, though, but allowed you to do something that I think most race fans have been waiting for. That's the addition of Charlie Morton. Um, what does, I mean, how big a sign is he? How does he change your ball club for 2019 and beyond? Yeah, the timing was probably a little bit coincidental, obviously. As complex as this trade was, uh, you know, it's going to come together when it comes together. And and so much of the roster flexibility is also about, you know, looking out ahead, uh, you know, even next year and beyond and trying to manage that. But uh, it is the case that it did free up a spot right now for us to uh, to use on Charlie. Obviously, the news has been out there for a while. We haven't been able to say anything about it because there were some logistical matters and whatnot that had to be worked out with his schedule. Um, but we're so thrilled to add him. I mean, this is a guy who the last couple of years has been really one of the elite pitchers in baseball um, and just, just a really a dominant starter. Uh, obviously, ended up closing out a World Series. Um, he, you know, ask any of our hitters who have faced him, this guy is really tough to face. And beyond that, the experience that he's had, the type of person that he is, he gets such high marks for his makeup and the way he carries himself. And to add a veteran with his experience to our young crew, someone that we think can be an example for the group, that just adds to the appeal. And I would assume, I mean, you guys are, he's the highest, going to be the highest annual average contract you guys have ever had. Um, that's substantial. Um, so obviously, I would assume that the intangibles, as good a pitcher as he is and has been the last couple of years, play into this. Yeah, we would not have made this move without the way we felt about Charlie Morton, the person, which is just as strongly, if not more so, than we feel about Charlie Morton, the pitcher. There, there's one number that you know stands out to me, and I, I know it doesn't come into calculus necessarily, but he's led the American League and hit batters the last couple of years. And I don't. I look at that as a not not that you want to lead in a category like that, but his willingness to pitch inside at times. How valuable can that be as a veteran to teaching young guys how to do it, when to do it, and how to do it effectively? Yeah, I I, I don't think Charlie would tell you, and I we wouldn't tell you that we're ever out to hit anybody. But part of what a lot of good pitchers create is they intimidate hitters. It's not just about your pitches and where you locate them. There's a mental side to this too, uh, and that is you know the, the, these sort of uh, 
these extra things that I think can propel individual players and can propel teams a little beyond what you think they might be able to achieve. Uh, a lot of that is mental and looking at what he's been through in his career, both, you know, all of he's come through physically and to get where he's gotten and the way he evolved as a pitcher. He's a very different pitcher now than he was five years ago, or certainly when he started his career, there's lessons in all that. And he's really figured out who he is. And it came to him later than it's come to a lot of guys. But when you look at the maturation process for a pitcher, we've been seeing it with Blake Snell over the last couple of years. It hits different guys at different times, but you hope that a lot of the guys who are coming up and trying to find their footing at the big league level, that they can learn from that and they can learn from picking the brain of somebody like Charlie. With the, the trade made, um, et cetera, you hit the break, so to speak. There is kind of a break now, I guess. I mean, is it fair to say the team's I don't say shut it down, but are much quieter between Christmas and New Year's than during the rest of the offseason? Absolutely. This uh, this week coming up is probably about as close as the industry gets to shutting it down. Certainly there's nothing formal. There's no prohibition on working, and uh, you know teams are free to do what they want to do. But I think we've seen the last couple of years in particular uh, the industry kind of take a breath. And this business is so demanding and it's so 24-7 that I think – you know, over the holidays, it's not to rule anything out because you never want to lose ground to your competitors. But I think uh, you do see people kind of gathering themselves, um, you know, getting that work-life balance a little bit back in order, never fully, but a little bit, and uh, getting ready for New Year's and then that final sprint to spring training and then getting ready to roll. And I guess you feel there's still stuff to do um, to continue to improve the roster. Yeah, what we've tried to do this whole offseason, I mean, we you, know, you look at what the group accomplished last year. We like the mix that we have, and we don't want to uh, deviate dramatically from that. We, we've paid you know close attention to making sure that we have a functional team that – you know, we can we can roll out there that we think is going to be pretty good. At the same time, especially in our division, to look past opportunities to improve it, uh, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. We know who we're competing against. We know the types of seasons, especially New York and Boston, had last year. But really, the whole division is always a grind. So between now and, uh, you know, when camp opens and then potentially even beyond, we will continue to look for any way we can to give us a better chance to play in October. And the work that you guys have done going into the holidays comes at what I consider a very difficult time for the organization. Um, the loss of Jim Hoff uh, Thursday was, you know, his services to his funeral services, the um, funeral mass, the, the celebration of life. Um, we're talking about somebody for the last 17 years meant a lot to this organization, and obviously for 52 years meant a lot to the game of baseball. Yeah, it, losing Hoffy, especially so suddenly the way we did, is just crushing. Uh, and you know, Neil, you've known him for a long time. I mean, he's – I think anybody you work with that long, uh, to lose someone like that's going to be devastating, but all the more so because of who Jim Hoff was. Just an incredible, incredible human being. Someone – look, if we can – be half the person that Jim Hoff was, I think any of us should be pretty happy with ourselves. I would agree. Uh, and I would think that um, is there's probably um, – he's, he's probably going to be more missing at spring training when, when we get started. I don't know if you feel the same way. It's I think it's going to hit more people a lot more then because of the presence he had throughout the, that period. Said that to a lot of people, you know, at the service, and we, we all kind of agreed. It still doesn't seem real. Uh, and there's been, you know, in, in, including for myself, just at odd times, there's been plenty of emotion. We, we've all shed a lot of tears. But, you know, spring training, the, 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 the field is really where, you know, that was Hoffie's uh, domain. And not seeing him there this spring, it's, it's going to be different. Um, and I, I'm curious because you guys have had a lot of change 
uh, Rocco, Charlie, uh, with Paul Hoover moving up, with Bill Evers moving on, with with Jim Hoff's unfortunate passing. A lot of change at the minor league level, which is so important. You, you, we've talked about player development in this podcast. Do you and Eric now take a little bit of a larger role just in terms of um, your involvement in helping find the right people to fill those holes? I think just because there has been so much turnover, uh, there's probably, you know, we've been more directly involved in, in a lot of the conversations that uh, have taken place, uh, you know, with, with Mitch and with Jeff McLaren and our uh, player development department about the staff. Uh, and those conversations are still ongoing. Um, but, you know, we're always, uh, you know, we're always connected to them. And I think one thing, as much as we are going through, you know, a period of change, mostly for good reasons, with staff getting good opportunity elsewhere, obviously, in Hoffie's case, an awful reason. Um, You know, we are going through some change. But the thing that stands out to me is the togetherness and the connectedness of the organization, something that, you know, again, really jumped jumped out at the uh, the celebration of life that we we had for Hoffie. you know, losing Hoffie, obviously, tragically, and losing Bill Evers uh, to a great opportunity with, with Minnesota, we're taking two people who have been stalwarts in our player development system and have brought so much experience and mentorship to the group. Um, we're taking those, those guys out of the group. And that is going to leave a void. But it all, also, in talking to Mitch and Jeff and, and talking to some of our staff members, including Hoove, you know, who's now on our major league staff, uh, you know, Matt Cotrero, who left us, came back, and who knows a lot of these, uh, these staff, even though we don't have those two guys anymore in our organization, the mentorship, the impact, the influence that they had, that's still felt by, uh, you know, and how they develop so many staff members. And just as we care about player development, we also care about staff development. And, you know, one thing that we think can separate us is our culture and, and the unity that we have top to bottom in the organization. And so many times this winter in talking to people about our staff alignment, about these different positions and considering different options, considering, you know, who might be the right fit for some of these jobs. I've been struck by just how many good candidates we have. And I know I'm biased. I know I've known some of these guys for a long time. I know I have some skin in the game with how they've come along. Um, but I'm blown away by the dedication and the unity that they show. So that's something – it's going to be hard without Hoffy. Um, but I know he would tell us if he were still here, it's going to be all right. Yes, and he'd probably tell us some pretty good jokes too. Um, so we'll have that as we go to the holidays. Enjoy the family time. Enjoy uh, hopefully a little bit of downtime. And uh, we'll be back with you soon before we know it. So enjoy this next week or so. Thanks, Neil. You too. And we all wish a very happy and a wonderful holiday to everybody out there. That is Hein Bloom. We certainly appreciate him joining us. Um, our next guest on the podcast is Joe McCarthy. I had a chance to chat with Joe earlier in the week about uh, how he learned he was put on the 40-man roster. I got the phone call the uh, the day of the deadline, um, and you know it, it was a relief because I, I knew what the uh, I knew what our roster looked like the day of the deadline, and I understood that there were some tough decisions to be made. Um, with guys either being taken off and that and on. And I, I understood that, uh, that anything could happen for me on that day, and I was probably going to get a phone call with some news, whether it be good or bad. And uh, I got the phone call about mid-afternoon that said I'd been put on the 40-man. You know, it was just it was a great feeling for me and a relief, and uh, it kind of got me excited just for uh, spring training. Who called you? Where were you when you, uh, when you got the news? Uh, it was Jeff McLaren, and I was in my apartment kind of uh, hanging out all day with the uh, the phone by me, <laughs> just, just, just waiting for the news. 
was it nerves? How would you describe that that whole period? Because um, just because there were tough decisions to be made by the Rays organization, and um, we take a step back, um, you did get injured in the Arizona Fall League. Were you worried at all that that might go into their thinking? Yeah, I mean, it, it's never good uh, when you get an injury right before something like that. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's nerves. You're just—I mean, there's nothing you can do but wait. Over there's nothing you can do, and it's completely on them to make the decision. And you just gonna hope that you've shown enough uh, for them to trust that it's the right decision to put you on. And so I was just hanging out all day, waiting. And yeah, it, it, it definitely is there. You're just waiting. You're just waiting for the news. Tougher day there, uh, draft day or or waiting forty man day, and how different are they? Uh, I would definitely say draft day, just because of the the draft day for me. Uh, I mean, I had fallen in the draft uh, a lot de- a lot further than I thought I was going to, and so it was just the, the constant uh, name after name and teams passing on me. So draft day was actually pretty tough for me, and, uh, whereas opposed to a couple of weeks ago where I was getting put put on the forty man, that was that was awesome. It was a great feeling, and I'm, I'm not saying that getting like getting drafted was still one of the best days of my life, but. Uh, just waiting to hear my name call was definitely uh, was definitely a tough day for me. And, and obviously, things have worked out. As mentioned, being put on the forty man, we've touched kind of vaguely about your health. Walk our, our listeners, our fans of the Rays through what happened. Um, you really were in in the Arizona Fall League to begin with because of some back issues during the during the regular season, right? Yes. Um, so during the season, obviously. Um, should I touch on my back history real quick? Or Yeah, sure, sure, because yeah, I, mean, I don't think everyone knows about it. Yeah, true. Um, so back in college, uh, I actually was diagnosed with a herniated disc, and it was something that got to the point where I needed surgery on it. Uh, so I had back surgery in 2015. I ended up missing a good chunk of my junior year and was able to return to play about 30 games before the draft, which was... Uh, which ended up being enough to get me drafted and get me out of school after my junior year. So obviously I'm here now playing with the Rays and I was healthy for about two years. And then this year or two, three years. And then this year, uh, kind of the same thing happened about May, late May, where uh, kind of re re herniated the same disc ended up missing a good amount of time, but it wasn't something that needed surgery. So uh, again, just hit the rehab process with, uh, waiting for that disc to heal and uh, make sure and making sure that my core and everything was was nice and strong. So when I came back, it would hopefully not happen again. And it's something I've been really keeping up on. Uh, and actually, I've been keeping up on for the past five years. So I guess it's just one of those things where you can't fully prevent it from happening. I guess you can say like I I, I kind of have a bad back, but. You know, if, if I keep up with my core work and take care of myself, I, I've been feeling really good lately. And so I end up going to the Fall League and breaking my hand, which, I mean, isn't a terrible injury. I, I have the cast off now, and I, I would say I'm 100%. But just to have that happen after a long season of dealing with an injury was kind of a bummer for me. I can understand that. Um, and, you I mean, the reason you were there was just to get the extra at-bats. Other, I mean, beyond the injury, did the Fall League experience help you? What, what did you gain from it? Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely cool. And, uh, I mean, what I took out of it the most was just being able to branch out and meet a lot of, uh, meet a lot of talented guys from 
around the minor leagues and uh, just really get to know them and uh, just kind of be able to talk approach with them in baseball and see how they go about their business and what kind of what uh, they do that makes them so special. Uh, I mean, after a full year in AAA, I wouldn't say the, the talent is what stood out to me, but it's more of just getting to know these guys and seeing what they do and uh, how they go about their business every day. Now, when you came back from the back injury this year, I know you were a little bit leaner. Training-wise, are you doing anything different this offseason now, having gone through the fall league to get ready for 19? Um, no, it'll, about, it'll be about my typical offseason. Um, obviously, with the, the weight room, I need to be careful uh, with my <laughs> with my history of injury. But, uh, no, I'm just taking care of myself, uh, hitting the weight room. I'll start swinging again around the new year and then just be uh, – rolling that right in the spring training and showing up and just being ready to play. Now, the the other part of Arizona that I would guess was pretty cool, your brother was drafted um, by the Diamondbacks, and he was out there for a bit when you were in uh, the Fall League, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, one of the cool things was that, unfortunately, I was injured at the time, but I was able to shoot home for two days during my, uh, during my rehab because it was still early, and it was still the back injury was to the point where uh, – that first week or two, I wasn't really doing much for it. I was just kind of taking it easy until the swelling went down. And so I was able to shoot home to be there for draft night for Jake, which was just an unbelievable experience for me and my entire family. So that, that was really cool to uh, kind of be on the other side of it, not quite getting drafted, but now my brother's getting drafted. So that, that was a lot of fun for us. Were you hoping he'd uh, get drafted by the same organization, or will it be weird to hopefully someday play against him? I don't know. Um, honestly, I think I think it was the 31st and 32nd pick that the Rays had. I think Jake went, went going around 39. But it, it was one of those things where I, I was kind of hoping he didn't get drafted by the Rays because I wouldn't want his experience to be any different because I'm in the organization and I've like gone through it. And I'm kind of like big brother i I'd want to see him uh you know just kind of do his own thing he's with the diamondbacks now he's on his own and i you know i, I just feel it was better that it worked out this way but i am definitely looking forward to running into him sometime down the road interesting well thought out point of view on that not surprised to get that from you i'm, I'm kind of curious also your take on what happened recently in the off season. you play first base on the outfield uh jake bowers was traded in the deal for yandy diaz um does that i mean does that impact in any way the way you go into camp? I know you've played both spots. Does it change anything in terms of your prep? Um, I mean, not really. Uh, I'm going to show up uh, being ready to play first base of the outfield wherever they're going to need me. And at the same time, it's a long off season too. There's a lot. There's a lot that can go down. And um, you know, I, th- I think I'll start to worry about that when I show up and we get closer to the final days of spring training to see what the roster looks like because anything could happen. And, uh, I mean, I woke up and I saw the news that Jake had been traded and, uh, you know, it was kind of, kind of a bummer for me. I, I got to know Jake a lot this well, uh, this uh, season and he, he's a great guy and a great teammate. So the, the organization is going to miss him. No doubt. Uh, and obviously they think a lot of Yandy Diaz too. And, and, you know, we'll see how that plays for you personally. Um, Joe, where do you want to grow? The most this year. You've always been a good on base guy. I, I think what three ninety or so is your your number so far at the minor league level. Where are the things you want to improve this year to get to the big leagues for the first time? Um, you know, 
throughout this year, I think I did a really good job of uh, increasing that slugging percentage just a little bit. Um, it was something that kind of came hand in hand with the little late kick that I added this year. Oh, good. Uh, in the short amount of times I played, I think I, I hit a decent amount of home runs. And it, it was good to see that. I feel like I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to understand a little bit more how to drive the ball. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, be healthy for a full season and just uh, see what I can do moving forward from that. Well, continued health and happiness throughout the course of the off season. Hopefully being on the uh, the 40-man makes uh, the holiday season all the more sweeter. And before you know it, we'll see you in the new year at uh, uh, in Port Charlotte. Awesome. Hey, happy holidays, Neil. Thank you for having me. Well, we certainly appreciate having uh, Joe McCarthy on our podcast. And, uh, again, the Rays have added him to the 40-man roster, and he's certainly going to be a valuable piece of the puzzle as we go forward in 2019. Now, obviously – Hours ticking down until the holidays. Uh, a lot of Major League Baseball front offices are closed beginning uh, this weekend. So uh, the Rays have been active, though, in terms of their front office, not only with baseball moves, but also with the way they've been helping out in the community. And I sat down with one of the Rays' vice presidents, that being Bill Weiner, to chat about his involvement and the Rays' involvement this holiday season. Well, the Rays uh, have certainly been active in terms of the off season and the holiday season, and that goes not only for the uh, the front office on the baseball side, but the front office on the business side as well. And um, they've been very active in helping out in the Tampa Bay community, and especially in in one of those events. I wanted to touch on with Bill Weiner, who's our vice president of employee and community initiatives, and the one I specifically wanted to touch on involves St. Vincent de Paul Cares. Uh, Bill, thanks for a few minutes. Uh, tell me why, first of all, this cause is kind of important, why this group was one that you guys reached out to and helped during the holidays. Yeah, so St. Vincent de Paul Cares, Neil, they're right down the street from us, right down the street from the TROP. And we've done some events over there with them in the past, went over there and fed some of their some of their clients, I like to call them. They have a lot of veterans and homeless folks over there, and we went and fed them a meal before, and we wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful this time. So in going over there, um, Merrill, one of the gentlemen who works over there in charge of development, showed us the uh, their family room and um, mentioned to us about all the veterans they had over there. Um, and they really wanted to do something for the holiday season. So we wanted to step up and, and do something for them over there. And you certainly did. Um, first of all, you had were part of their holiday party. Tell us um, what you guys provided for that holiday party. I know that it wasn't only raise employees, but you got a lot of support, in, including season ticket holders, too. Yeah, it was great. Um, our season ticket holders, they had a season ticket holder party here at the CHOP for those folks. And they brought out... Over 100 toys um, so that we could give to the children the, over at the, who are staying at St. Vincent de Paul Cares over there. Um, and then we said, that's great. You know, we always do something for the children, but why don't we help out some of the homeless vets who are staying over there? So what we decided with the, with the ECOT folks here at the Rays, our employee community outreach team, we went and purchased uh, 110 backpacks, black um, backpacks. Uh, they call them rucksacks, I believe. And we stocked them with a um, fleece blanket, a water bottle, and a bunch of hygienic products such as toothpaste, um, toothbrushes, some soap, um, things like that. Just some creature comforts for those folks uh, over there at St. Vincent de Paul. And we brought those over to the holiday party and we got to distribute the toys. Uh, Raymond Claus, otherwise known as Raymond, uh, joined us over there and gave out a lot of toys to the children. And it was just it was just incredible to see the ch- kids, how they embraced him. And and I got to talk along with some of our coworkers here, with a lot of the veterans, and they're just so appreciative of those backpacks. 
um, and what was in it. They were just, they were, I can't even tell you, Neil. It was, they were so appreciative. It was incredible. And, and part of this, I would assume, too, is trying to get those people back on their feet. And part of that is providing not only home, but a, a way to kind of get themselves started. And this is one of those small things that can help. Absolutely. And, and over there at St. Vincent de Paul, you know, it, you should check it out. They, they, it's not just to house the homeless over there. They're really focusing on rapid rehousing with these veterans and these families that live over there. And they're trying to get them into their own homes or apartments so that they're stable and they can, and they can uh, have a, their own place to call home. And, uh, you know, it's something little that we were able to do, but the appreciation they showed us was just, it was, it was, it was incredible. And, and it's not only in terms of donations uh, and the fact that you guys were part of this party, but you also donate a lot of manpower hours to help a lot of the kids in a different way uh, with, with a room um, that you guys decorated. Let our, our, our listeners know a little bit about what you guys did and, and how it went about. Sure. So the, the uh, family room over there, what we did is, and we've done this at many other um, facilities around Tampa Bay, is we, we go in and we raise it up, for a lack of better words. We go in and we paint it raise colors, and, and we put Raymond um, on some of the walls, um, some of the uh, wall stickers that you see over there in my office that we have additional. And we bought actually a bunch of furniture uh, for that room, uh, a bunch of bookcases and toy storage boxes, just to make it nice and new and fresh and when we saw the kids go in and just see it for the first time they were all bright-eyed and so excited to see Raymond on the walls and just a nice new clean fresh room for these children to play in and the families to interact in it was really it was it was awe-inspiring to see their reaction and that's really what the holidays are about and it wasn't only a number of front office employees but you also had Kevin Cash's family was very involved in this whole process too Emily and her daughter, Ella, Kevin's wife, Emily, and his daughter, Ella, were fabulous. They came out to the party, and they brought a bunch of um, items to donate to St. Vincent de Paul, and we went on a tour of the entire facility with Emily and Ella, and it was it was just great to see them and how they were so impacted by what they're accomplishing over there at St. Vincent de Paul Cares. And just that Emily and Ella came out, it was it was awesome to see them at this event. That is Bill Weiner, and the organization he was talking about, St. Vincent de Paul, you can learn a little bit more. You can go to svdpsp.org. Now, that wasn't the only event that the Rays have, been, have done during the course of this holiday season. Uh, in addition to that, December 10th, the Rays Women in Baseball, a, a business resource group for the women in the front office of the Rays and the Rowdies, hosted a holiday-themed event over at Casa St. Petersburg Shelter. The children, alongside their parents, the Rays Women in Baseball volunteers, and, of course, Raymond decorated cookies and Christmas tree ornaments, and some of the volunteers also put together an Italian feast. And uh, after the ornaments were decorated, the volunteers served the meal and dined with the families. And uh, thanks to the kindness of Rays fan hosts, uh, the Rays also made a donation to uh, of toys for uh, Casa's Hope for the Holidays gift drive. In addition to all of that, the race also had Raymond at uh, a recent uh, St. Petersburg Police Department holiday party for the 100 children in the Police Athletic League program uh, on Friday. December the 21st. And that's just among the things that the Rays uh, front office has done during the course of the holidays. And obviously, we'll remain very involved as we move into 2019. I want to thank Chaim Bloom, Joe McCarthy, and Bill Weiner for joining us on our latest podcast. Thank you for being with us. I hope you have a really good holiday season. And uh, we'll talk to you after the first of the year.